I saw an amazing talk at a CTO summit quite a few years ago that um, I can't remember who gave it, but the title of it was basically Feedback is a Gift. And I, I think about that a lot when I think about um, basically like, you know, thinking about giving hard feedback to someone. Though, you know, empathetic individuals, empathetic managers don't like doing it. And I think it's much easier when you think about it as the real goal this person has is to be the best person they can be in five years. And so if you deny them this feedback, you are preventing them from getting to their best possible selves. If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Today, we are talking about performance management, but not only performance management, why it is more important now than ever and how to make it a priority and all things having to do with performance management in that regard. We get to chat with Kat Miller from Flatiron Health. Hey, Kat, how you doing? Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you about this particular topic. Um, so before we get into it, uh, for those that don't know Kat, uh, she is currently the CTO of Flatiron Health. She leads an organization of over 400 technologists working to do something very near and dear to my heart as a cancer survivor, which many of you know. Um, and she is reimagining the infrastructure of cancer care. Um, so love everything about Flatiron Health. Um, Kat is a software and data engineer by training and has over a decade of experience in data-focused startups and nine years growing and engineering the team at Flatiron through acquisition and beyond. So uh, super excited to talk to you about this topic. Um, a couple of weeks ago, months ago, um, I heard you talk at the New York City CTO Summit, and you said something that kind of sparked this conversation. And I want to start there. You said performance management isn't top priority when you have open roles to fill. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I was reflecting on how I've spent perhaps the last like eight or nine years in companies that were either in a stage of hyper growth, so desperately trying to, you know, double or more every year, or in the last couple of years, high attrition, where in the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, between 20 and 25% attrition, which is quite high. And in both of those scenarios, you always have open headcount. Like I, I spent years like desperately trying to get anyone I could to apply. And when you have open headcount, the last thing it feels like you want to do is get rid of the people that you already have hired. So, you know, there are people who are net negatives and everyone, I mean, those are not the problem in the sense that they get managed out easily. Everyone recognizes it and says this person is, you know, not a positive on this company. But there's this huge class of people who are, you know, maybe just kind of meh or, you know, folks who are doing 20% less than everyone else on the team who are not who are who are additive in some sense but but not doing as well as everyone else and when the option is well if you get rid of that person you're just going to have an empty hole it's very difficult to want to performance manage that that person out right right and so by contrast you know my company is certainly in a different phase now i think a lot of companies have very abruptly come into a different phase yes and it's an opportunity and it's a difference of perspective that makes me realize how lackadaisical we were about it when we had all these open roles. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you say we, are you referring to both Flatiron Health and technology leaders at large? 
I, I am. I mean, specifically at Flatiron, to some extent, this was intentional. So during the pandemic, we definitely wanted to focus on um, making sure that people were okay. And we weren't going to performance manage someone for, you know, having a, a care responsibility or anything like that. So so I'm certainly not talking about, um, you know, that era. But I definitely am reflecting on our experience of hypergrowth, what I've, you know, talked to my friends in the industry, my past experience, and realizing that I think it's a fairly universal feeling of when you have a lot of room to grow, not paying as much attention to, my, you know, sort of managing the folks who are already there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you, you had said um, a few seconds ago that there was an abrupt, abrupt shift in priorities. And I think everybody has felt that, everyone knows it, and now how do we move forward? And so with, with these new competing priorities, uh, how, how can tech leaders use business urgency to now drive performance management as a top priority? Well, look, never waste a good crisis. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we're suddenly in this situation out for a lot of us where uh, problems that we used to be able to solve by saying, give me five more headcount, we now have to solve without that headcount. And, you know, I think it can feel scary, but I think it can also feel like a real opportunity to say, you know, there's a, there's a cost to growing. You know, you're never as efficient as you know you can be when you're constantly adding people. And so it's a time to really trench in with the group that you have and figure out how do I make these people the best that they can possibly be? How do I make this organization the best it can possibly be? And by the way, performance management, I do not want me to imply is the only tool in this toolkit. I think, you know, leveling, skilling people up, leveling them up in their skills, um, training, um, even Rick, thinking about your team sizes and structures, there's a lot of tools in this toolkit. So I uh, wouldn't want to imply that that management is the o- only option or performance management is the only option. But there's definitely an imperative now where if I look at a team and someone, and I do have this, you know, let's say a hypothetical person who's 20% less good, less good, um, in this in this team structure than my mm-hmm. other people, less pr- productive, let's say. Now I genuinely have an opportunity to say, okay, if I didn't have that person and I hired another person, I would potentially be getting 20% more output. And that is now something that is visible at a business level. And so I think as technical technology leaders, we can actually take advantage of that business urgency to say like, we need to get these teams to be more efficient. And one of the ways we can do it is making sure the quality of the individual on the team is is correct. So as you're saying that, I'm curious. Um, you mentioned that this is a visible business priority, right? This meaning making sure that your team is as efficient and high performing as possible. Do you Do you find that in addition to you as the CTO, um, identifying um, team performance as a priority, do you also find that your CFO, your CEO, your board, are, is everyone now more attuned to team efficiency or are there certain executives that you believe or do not or, or does it depend? I'm just kind of wondering where, where else are people in the organization feeling this um, as much as us? <laughs> well, I guess I would say everyone in the organization is asking questions, okay. right? And and I don't mean to say that those questions imply anything bad about the team, but I think in this kind of environment, everyone is asking, can you can you do more with less? And and no. it's not to be clear, just an engineering team either. You know, they're asking the same thing of of any other team in the organization. Like, hey, you know, could is this the best you can do? Right. And I think the, the type of of person kind of determines what level that questions are. So very very much in the last couple of months, I get a lot of questions about like. 
well, can't you just use LLMs to make yourself, you know, 50% more efficient? <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's, a, that's actually right. a reasonable level of question from, you know, a, a hypothetical CEO, right? right? Like, hey, technology is shifting. How can you use it to make your teams more efficient? I think the people who, who really know are the product managers and the product mm. leaders. Like wow. I, you know, just like a, a technology leader, you know, an engineering manager knows when their product manager isn't, you know, is like missing some stuff. Product leaders really know when their engineering team is, team is delivering and when it's not. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So I appreciate you diving into that a little bit. And so um, we've talked about uh, performance management as a priority relative to other priorities and why it's very important now. Um, now, regardless of where a team or a tech leader prioritizes um, tackling performance management, which is not a one-time thing, it's it takes a lot of work over and over. So it is something that you kind of have to like gain fluency in and gain comfort in. But regardless of it, the priority within the organization, what what if someone you know says, "I'm not going to prioritize it. I'm not going to prioritize um, really kind of making an, an, a repeatable process." <laughs> what are the risks to deprioritizing performance management at large? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a legitimate choice. In some sense, it is the choice that we were blindly making in the past when we had open roles. Um, you know, I think there's two really obvious things um, that are somewhat related. I mean, one is just that your high performers will look around and say and see that the lower performers are staying. And, you know, even if they're getting feedback, that's not visible, Right. And so any I have discovered that uh, repeatedly when, when we do surveys and we ask these questions, people know. People know who like who's really delivering and who's not delivering. Yeah. Yeah. And over time, it is a morale problem, particularly for your highest performers, who even if you're rewarding them and even if you're saying like, you're awesome, like promotion time, still can feel that imbalance, uh, that work imbalance. So um, maybe that's the best way to put it is even if you think about this as sprint points, if your team has wildly different numbers of points being taken on by individuals, especially when it's not due to other responsibilities like management, that is visible and that is a a, right. a, a morale problem. Um, I think that's the obvious one. I think the the maybe more difficult to to think about one is if you have a team of let's say five and and you have a, you know a handful of of maybe lower performers in it, that team is going to go slower then you feel like a team of five should. And that actually is a problem that leads to burnout because everyone on that team who has a vision for what it could be and feels like it should be going faster is going to have this like constant pressure in their brain of like, why am I, why is this going slowly? Like, why are we not, you know, why does this project take two months instead of one month? Why are these things happening in this way? And and also you may even get the sense that you may get bugs, you may get um, regressions and things like that that have, drag on the team as well. So in addition to kind of the high performers saying like, why, you know, I feel like I'm probably getting paid the same as that person. That's not cool. You also just get a team sense of, of burnout of like not not being able to accomplish the goals in the amount of time that feels like it's plausible. And so I think those are both risks and, and, and that's a reality. And there is a real choice about when do you care about those, which are kind of longer term issues versus exactly how much output you can get tomorrow out of this team and and there's no single right choice i like your burnout example because with that was implicitly stated a definition of burnout that i don't think is common i think people think burnout is associated with um 
quantity, the number of hours you put in. You put in 80 hours a week, you're going to get your risk of burnout. But the way you described it was more one of lack of quality. And I think that's a very important distinction and a very real key takeaway for people here, that burnout risk increases with decreased team quality. Yeah, I want to shout out the Nagoski sisters in the book Burnout on this one, but I would differentiate between exhaustion, which is, you know, working 80 hours a week is exhausting. Yeah. But 80 working 80 hours a week on your passion project and your business, sure, it makes you want to take a vacation. Sure, it makes you fantasize about when you can sleep more hours. But it's a different character of exhaustion and a different mental character than pushing really hard against an immovable wall. And I think most of us have had this situation at some point in our careers where we were trying to accomplish something, whether it be purely technical or whether it be organizational and political, where we put a lot of energy into something and it didn't go anywhere. And that's I that's what I think is like the burnout that is really dangerous and makes people leave companies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you said earlier, um, performance management, not only the role of the CTO and the engineering leaders, but also the role of the person being um, managed and their performance that is being um, evaluated. It's a collaborative effort that together will lead to um, higher performing teams, less burnout, happiness at work, all the good things, right? So it's not like we're talking about this topic from the lens of the technology leader, but I just want to call out it's also really important, right, for the individual to have a have a very important seat at the table in terms of even asking for it if, if right hey it's been a while since anyone's told me how i'm doing how am i doing i i right? saw an amazing um, an amazing talk at a cto summit quite a few years ago that um i can't remember who gave it but the title of it was basically feedback is a gift and i i think about that a lot when i think about um basically like you know thinking about giving hard feedback to someone the, you know, empathetic individuals, empathetic managers don't like doing it. And I think it's much easier when you think about it as the real goal this person has is to be the best person they can be in five years. And so if you deny them this feedback, you are preventing them from getting to their best possible selves. Yes. Yes. I remember that talk as well. And sadly, I don't remember. If I remember, I'll put in the show notes because it was very good. Um, all right. So let's let's shift to because we're coming at this from all different angles, right? And and so now what about so many companies um, as a result of the the shift in the abrupt shift in priorities that we talked about earlier have either had hiring freezes or they are pro, uh, proactively downsizing. And so um, at the same time, they're being tasked with this idea of like, you know, can't you just do more with less? And so how... How does a conversation about performance management change for companies that are in these situations? Or does it change? I mean, like I said, I think this is a real opportunity. Um, I think it's it changes the focus and it, it changes the focus in a way that everyone can see. So, you know, you can be you can be CTO, you can be a leader and you can think that performance management is important. But when the on the ground people on the ground managers aren't feeling any sense of urgency around it. They're not feeling constrained. They feel like they can ask for more resources. It's much harder to get that message across and make it land. Whereas like now we're in an environment where for many of us, like the the realities of the world are making it very clear and making it visible at every level. I, I do want to say one thing because you mentioned hiring freezes. I do think you have to think about what you're incentivizing. So some ways that hiring freezes work 
is that uh, when someone leaves, you don't receive a backfill for that position. Okay. And that can actually disincentivize performance management. So I, I, I think that you know what we're talking about conceptually is narrowing the cost envelope. And I think how you do that does matter in terms of what you have left at the end of it. And so making sure that you're not you're trying to not create an environment where managers don't want to manage people out because then they're just down a person. Um, I think that's that's actually a real challenge. And when you think about potentially downsizing, do you think about that as a uh, role in elimination for whole teams or whole areas? Or are you thinking about it as, you know, an opportunity on lower performers? I, I don't necessarily have an opinion about right or wrong there, but I do think that the structure of your downsizing or the structure of your cost envelope affects how you and other people will view performance management at an organization. Yeah, that's that's key. And my guess, this is a guess, so um, for anyone listening, um, if this is weighing into your decision and you're not having an explicit conversation about it, um, this is your prompt to do so because my guess is that people are, um, that cost envelope they they are acting as if it is more static when in reality there is dynamic opportunity within that if you have that right conversation right and so i think this is a really great call out for folks hey if i'm if i'm thinking any employee is better than an empty seat right now certainly i'm gonna treat my performance management through a different lens and if i say oh would it be possible to have a conversation about what we really want for both of us is a high-performing team that looks like this, right? And yep. so I think it's like, I, I, I really subscribe to this idea of like, really take the time to make sure that you're asking the right questions because you can ask two seemingly questions, but they're adjacent and you will actually get completely different answers, right? And so just thinking about that cost envelope and the the what happens if there is a seat that is now vacant um, and having that conversation proactively, I think those are really important parts. And so we can, we can dig into that more, but I do want to, <laughs> I do want to kind of shift a little bit, all of these um, uh, nuggets of, of, of what you've gone through and, and what you've seen your peers go through. And is it, what do you think has had the biggest impact on performance management that you've seen at your time at Flatiron Health? Well, I don't think I'm at the end of my journey here, but um I do think macro environment and uh, making people feel in their bones the uh, situation of the company is one. So um, I am a huge believer in in sort of transparency as much as possible, just in terms of, you know, what's going on with the business? Like, you know, what is the most important thing? And I think the more every single employee or company, you know, knows that and can tell you what are the business priorities, like what kind of what's our financial situation? You know, it can freak people out, but it's also, I think, a, a valuable tool here. I definitely think that the biggest shifts when I happened when I just started talking about it, because I realized that neither I nor my predecessor CTOs, this hadn't been a focus for us, as I mentioned, for several years. And so even coming back and, and starting to talk about it with my VPs, with my directors and saying, this is something that I'm going to start pushing. I need you to be thinking about this more proactively. That was like my first shift. And I think my second shift is really asking pointed questions. So let's say you ask every manager in your organization, 
who's your lowest performer or every director who your lowest three performer is. Not to be clear because you are immediately going to do anything about it or this is not making not making a list, right? This is pushing them to think about it. It's actually really, I, I've, I've done this in various forms and it's really interesting what comes back and what you learn and what the, you know, your directors or your managers learn when they're forced to think about it, not as, and this is an important distinction, not as, do you have any low performers? But who is your lowest performer? Sometimes they will very reasonably be like, this is my lowest performer, but honestly, like they're amazing and I would take 10 more of them. And if someone tells you that they would hire this person again in a heartbeat, like that's a really good signal. Um, but sometimes when you ask, like, do you have any low performers, you get a no, like everyone's doing OK. And then if you you ask who, you know, who the, you know, several lowest performers are and, and what their characteristics are, you get a very different answer in a very different conversation. Um, so I found that to be very effective. Um, I also mentioned sort of knowing what that replacements are available. So, you know, how, what's the timetable? What's the availability of, you know, replacements on your team, I think is really important. I actually also want to say one thing. I really, I feel like I've been a little almost pejorative about talking about low performers and high performers. I do want to call out that this is a relative thing and it's relative to the context they're in. So someone who is a low performer at Flatiron may be amazing in another company because yeah. of the balance of skill sets. So I yeah. just want to say when I'm, when I'm talking about this, it's, it's in a context of a team and not an absolute judgment on a human being in any way, shape right. or form. Yeah. And I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I appreciate you calling that out. And I do, uh, uh, and I love that you just did that thing with the two adjacent questions that we were just talking about, because do you have any low performers versus who are your lowest performers? And you will get a different answer, even though those questions seem to be very closely related. And in terms of the, the you know, um, high performers, low performers, um, and, and what will we do once we have this information, which you touched on, um, to me, uh, at Stride, we have a culture of, you know, we really subscribe to like right people, right seats. Mm -hmm. And so like I've seen it 10 years at Stride, like you take some same human being, different environment, could be even the same job with a different manager, could be a different job in the company. It could be different X, Y, and Z, right? It could be um, taking away some responsibility, adding some responsibility. And it, 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 it's almost as if you were talking to a whole new human being. I totally yes. agree. And I think one thing that's interesting about this is a thing that another tool that I've found helpful personally and I think is helping folks in my organization is really thinking about it from a business perspective. Like people who are good managers are people who care about other human beings. And I would say at Flatter, we very much have a culture of caring about other, other human beings and I love it. But it can make it hard to think objectively about, hey, there's all these great things about this person. And they're not delivering the business value that you need to see out of this situation. So the more you can put it in terms of the business objectives and the outcomes rather than sort of softer things about, you know, how do they operate or, you know, how uh -huh. do they work on the team? I think I think that helps to separate, I think separating the concerns of, you know, are, are we doing well as, you know, are they, are we getting the performance we need as a business from, okay, but what are we going to do about it? Asking those as very separate questions makes it easier to put that emotional distance between the two of them. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I know we are almost at time, but I do want to end with, um, if you can, if you can share with us, you know, uh, one or two of the top mistakes and lessons learned that you've made, because you have been, um, working on performance management 
iterating on it, uh, learning from it, talking publicly about this topic. And so all of these learnings, like you said, you're not done with your journey. More mistakes will be made. More learnings will be had. More successes will be had. Um, but uh, reflecting, uh, what what do you think one or two of the biggest um, lessons learned that you could share with us are? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned that I occasionally have freaked people out by um, the way I talk about it. Um, so I, I definitely remember um, a year ago I was m- you know mentioning that I think that there are teams that are 10x more productive than other teams, and that <laughs> that was a um, definitely something that provoked a lot of uh, feelings and not necessarily productive feelings, right? Like. I don't mind freaking people out to a to a, a positive end, but I don't think that that was a that didn't like necessarily spark a productive conversation. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier the issue of if you're performance managing at the same time that you are um, not allowing backfills. So in our case, a challenge is actually just rebalancing teams. So let's say I'm a manager and I have a team, and I'm worried not because of a financial envelope thing necessarily, but because we want to redistribute that resource somewhere else. If I lose a person, that person will be gone for good and my team will be permanently smaller. There's lots of ways that this can play out. But basically, I have definitely had the experience of managers not being incentivized, even as their you know directors or their VPs are, to performance manage because they don't know what's going to happen on the other side of it. And, and whether that's real or uncertainty, like that uncertainty causes problems. Um, and the last thing I would say is that I definitely... I, I came into this role just about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and I kind of woke up one morning in October and was like, oh, crap, we should really be talking about performance management because, you know, perf is around the corner. We're doing performance reviews around the corner. And that was way too late. Like, as everyone knows, and, and I was, you know, that is the, the worst time to do performance management is the performance review season. Um, so really not having it front of mind soon enough is like just another mistake that I made um, thinking that I could kind of turn, you know, make a push or, or make a cultural shift in like two months as we were doing performance reviews. Yeah, that's I, I've, you know, been working 25 years ish and it's embarrassing, but there are still times today when I do think about it too late in the cycle and ah, what am I going to learn? <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. Oh, what, what did the person do last week? Oh, wait, that's not that's not. Right. <laughs> we um no. we do like a summer cycle. We do like a very light summer cycle and then our full cycle is in the winter. And what I find really useful about that is that um the summer cycle forces me to get freaked out about what will happen in the winter cycle and like put in the work to make sure that we're having the right conversations to set ourselves up for a, a painless winter cycle. That's great. I like that. I like that a lot. So I know uh, we could talk for hours, but sadly, we're at time. So this has been wonderful. I will try to find that CTO Summer Talk on Feedback is a Gift. And if I cannot, if anyone listens to this has it, put it in the notes so everyone can hear it. Um, Kat, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. It's been lovely. Hey, everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe, give it five stars, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.